What's up, everybody? It's Lee, otherwise known as Intuition, and you are tuned into Kind of Neat. Thank you guys for tuning in again. We appreciate it. Uh, let's get the social media out of the way first and foremost. Follow us on Twitter at That's Kind of Neat. I barely ever tweet. I'm sorry about that. I'm trying to balance my time more back and forth between my intuition Twitter and the kind of neat Twitter, but it's like it's hard to balance my uh, and budget my thoughts with that. So I, I will make a, a, an effort to start tweeting more on the kind of neat one. Check us out on YouTube, youtube.com slash that's kind of neat. You can find everything on kind of neat.net and you know that it just rolls off the tongue. So go ahead and go to kind of neat.net. Follow me on Twitter at It's Intuition and follow my man Ben Shim behind the boards at I Am Database, space with two S's. Hit us on Instagram too. You know we're out there just killing the photo game, just crushing it. It's crazy how crushing we are at photos. <laughs> uh, what else? Oh, yeah, the Cosmic Zoo. We're coming from the Cosmic Zoo studio run by the magnanimous Daddy Kev and MC No Can Do, Mr. James McCall. Follow them at Cosmic underscore Zoo, I think is their Twitter, but you can always find them on CosmicZoo.org. Today on the show, we had Alexander Spitt, who is a guy that I've known for a long time now. I realized, and I go ahead and I tell the story, which is kind of funny of how I met him in this podcast, but. Alex's whole thing, he does a lot of videos kind of with a bit of a trippy aesthetic to them. He's got this kind of psychedelia thing going on. He's not shy to talk about his penchant to taking shrooms and acid and stuff. So I figured for this intro, perhaps I would tell my story about the first time I ever did acid and got arrested. So the story starts like this. When I was about... 19 years old. I had just moved to California. I was living in Pomona. I was going to Cal Poly Pomona. I was on campus. And if you know anything about Cal Poly Pomona, which some of you on the IE might, it's a commuter school. So 17,000 people go to school there at the time, but only about maybe 300 of them lived on campus. It was very small. So during the weekends, the place was fucking empty. And I had just had my license suspended in Alaska for a minor in possession of alcohol. So I didn't have a driver's license for six months because Alaska is strict about that shit. So I moved down to California without a driver's license, without a car, stranded in the IE. It was boring to say the least. Like it was hard to get around and there wasn't much to do. So what did I do? I did a shitload of drugs while I was there. I'd smoked a lot of weed, obviously. That was like a very daily habit at that point. I don't think I was sober for six hours the whole fucking year, for Christ's sakes. Drank a lot of beers and started getting into some psychedelics, which was a pretty good time. The first time that I did acid, it was uh, this dude, Jose, a kid named Josh, and my friend Pete. They were all giants compared to me. All of them were 6'2 or taller, real big dudes. And I was like this little twerpy dude. I was a lot skinnier when I was 19. And the, Jose's like, yo, man, I got some acid gel tabs. You guys want to do some? I said, hell yeah. So we each bought a couple tabs. I think they're like five bucks a pop. And we put them in our mouths and... uh you know, we just wait for the fun to start happening. And um, we're sitting in a dorm room. And I remember like all of us kind of started kicking in right at the same time. And there was like some girl in the fucking dorm room who was like being an obnoxious drunk and like arguing with people. And we all kind of looked at each other at the same time, like we need to get the fuck out of here. And we were all on the same trip and we were like, fuck, man, let's go outside and smoke some weed. I feel real good. So we went up to this like secret spot that we had, like kind of behind the dorm rooms on the campus. It was like, it was, I don't know. It was like in, it was like a little clearance in the woods where you could hike up there and see most of Pomona. It was crazy. Like, and we sat there and all of us were on the same trip going, yo man, doesn't it feel like we're like these 
ancient Native Americans sitting around a campfire. And the other one was like, dude, I feel the same way. And I was like, yeah. And I'm like, look out at the city and all the cars driving by all these people, all these ants. They don't realize that they're all in a hurry to get somewhere, but it's really nowhere. And they're like, yeah, man. And I'm like, oh, we were all just having this amazing trip. And so we're like smoking weed up there. And we decide, oh, fuck this. Like, let's go walk around, you know? So this is like a Saturday night. The campus is just dead empty. And we start roaming around to like the places that we would just go to class or whatever and all of a sudden the campus had this new magical mystique to it and everywhere we went was a new treasure and it felt like we were discovering something every corner that we turned and we get to this big open like kind of park on the campus in the middle of all these classrooms in a big like half square basically and there's this tree and in the tree all of us are saying like god damn you see the faces in the tree like we were all seeing faces in this tree and then the tree next to it it was crazy there was a fucking raccoon sitting inside of this tree and it was like kind of sitting on its hindquarters like sitting up like it was in a lazy boy chair looking down at us and i swear to god it seemed like all of us said this it's like yo there's like a spotlight pointed on the fucking raccoon we all thought this raccoon had a spotlight and as we're standing there the raccoon is like it seems like it's hissing at us in hindsight who knows if it was hissing at us or or whatever it looked like it was growling and hissing at us and all of us are going yo fuck man this fucking raccoon is gonna like jump out of the tree at us like we need to hurry by this tree and it took us a little while to gather the courage to like get past the tree but we finally all walked past it and at that point we felt like we had conquered this beast that was the raccoon and we looked back like yeah fuck you raccoon you don't want nothing with us fuck you and and (laughs) it was ridiculous but we keep walking we end up at like some little hidden coves that we'd never seen on the campus. And I, I, we got to this one part where it was like a statue of this weird kind of pyramid triangle thing. And we were fucking tripping balls by that point. And we felt like it was like we were playing Tomb Raider and we just discovered a secret co- cave or something. Like it was insane. And we just keep wandering up this hill. And all of a sudden it was like the angelic chimes uh, just kicked in. And it was like, ah, because we found a pool. And like looking at the pool the pool was lit i'll never forget the color of blue it was like this bright translucent teal color that was amazing and the wave the little like the wind was making the 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 surface of the water have little tiny waves in it and everything we're looking at it and all this just holy shit man like it felt like we had found where we were supposed to be for that moment. And so we busted out another like uh, pipe and we we're smoking weed at this fucking thing. And it turns out that it was like the hotel. It was like the campus hotel for like training hotel service people. And it had a pool. And that's what we were looking at. And it was up on the very tip top of this hill, probably the highest point on campus, I would imagine, when all of a sudden a spotlight hits us and like fucking like scared cockroaches we all like just kind of scatter i throw uh, a pipe in the woods or in the bushes you know the weed pipe we all start like trying to walk at a normal pace in different places when we hear stop don't move and it's a cop and uh this cop comes over to us and he's like a giant uh, oh he's not a giant he's actually a little short guy but he's like he's very stocky like his quads are giant like it turns out that he's a squat champion he was telling us afterwards when we got arrested that he was like the state champion squatter for his weight group and he was pushing like 600 pounds or something like that it was fucking crazy like he was he was like this little five foot five muscle bound jerk let's be honest he was a jerk but anyways he's uh he's like all right that's it like what drugs are you guys on and we're like what are you talking about we're not on drugs man we're just like out appreciating nature we're not doing anything wrong you know to be out on a saturday night looking at a fucking pool is not appreciating nature so he knew something was going on and he's like nah you guys are bullshitting i think you're all on meth 
And we're like, meth, that's disgusting. We're not on meth. That's crazy talk. Why would we be on meth? This whole time thinking that we were told like, yo, you're on really pure acid, so it won't show up in a piss test. So if you get arrested, don't even worry about it. So we're all cocky like, yeah, man, we're not on any drugs. Like you could test us, you know? And he's like, all right, cool. He sits us down on the curb and uh, he stands us all up one at a time to do these tests where he's like flashing a flashlight in our eyes and we're like standing on one leg, keeping our eyes closed and counting to 30 while he's shining a flashlight in our eyes. And mind you, we're on the top of this hill and we're looking out and we can oversee the whole city again. So by the time he gets to mine... I'm standing there with my eyes closed, head tilted back, and he's flashing a flash in my eyes, telling me to count to 30 silently while he's looking at his watch. And so I'm very zen at this moment. Like I was at the peak of my trip, yet I felt like there's a cop in front of me and yet nothing is wrong. Everything is fine. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. So I'm standing there and I count to 30 in my head silently. And I'm positive that I counted exactly 30 seconds. I'm like, yo, okay, there's 30. How long was that? And he goes, I'm not telling you. And he, I go, you're not telling me because it was exactly 30 seconds, aren't you? You don't want me to be right. But I fucking just did 30 seconds on the dot, didn't I? He's like, go sit down. And I'm like, oh shit. So I go sit down and then I look back at my friend Pete, who's the tallest. He's like six foot six. He's there and he is quaking in his fucking boots he is like shivering he looks like he is on so many drugs that it's crazy like i feel like he's just about to pass out or start crying and while he's flashing the flashlight in his eyes and making him count to 30 the dude almost falls over i'm counting in my head he only does it for about five seconds he's like okay that was 30 seconds i'm like jesus christ pete you fucking blew it for all of us what are you doing you know we sits down and he's like all right that's it you guys are on drugs i'm taking you to the campus police office and so i'm like man this is crazy why don't you let us let us walk back to our dorms we're only like a quarter mile from our dorms just let us walk home we're cool you know he's like no mind you i brought up the fact that i was the smallest person initially because he didn't handcuff anybody except for me he put the tall homie in the front seat he put josh and jose in the back seat with me just one hand like just handcuffed to each other he put me handcuffs behind the back in the back seat, like on some straight perp shit. It was fucked up. So we get to the jail. Now it's not even a jail. It's just a room on campus. That's their police headquarters, you know? And he's like, all right, I'm going to sit you guys down. And I just want to know if before I charge you guys, if any of you have questions, he's like, I'm off the record. I want you to know that this would be a good time to ask questions if you don't want to get in trouble. And all of us are on some like, let's not snitch shit. So he gets to me. Do you have any questions? I say, nah, I don't have any questions. Gets to Jose. Do you have any questions? Nah, I don't have any questions he gets to josh do you have any questions nope gets to peter do you have any questions if he's i have a question and we're like fuck what is he doing why is he asking a question we're thinking he's gonna snitch us out or something like what is going on and pete was my real road dog the other two guys were closer friends josh and jose were closer friends to each other and me and pete were closer friends to each other we were like two groups of homies that came together to trip so he goes and puts us back in a little holding cell which is like a little tiny broom closet basically and uh sits out there and talks to pete and josh and jose are looking at me like hey man what the fuck, dude? Is your boy about to snitch on us? I'm thinking I'm about to catch a beatdown for my homie who I don't even know what he's doing. And I go, nah, nah, man. Pete's solid. He's not going to snitch on us. There's no worries. Like, we're good. You know, he's probably got a plan or something. Really, we were just all really high on acid. And so uh, about five minutes later, the cop comes up, opens the door and goes, you fucking geeks. And we're like, geeks? What do you mean? You can't call us geeks. And he's like, he's like, I would be a geek too if I was sitting in my dorm room doing acid. And we went, oh, fuck, he ratted us out. But he's kind of laughing about it. And all of a sudden, the mood had changed. So we go sit down at this table. And uh, he starts telling us, like, look, man, 
If you guys would have just been honest from me from the get-go and told me you were on acid, I probably wouldn't have even brought you here. I would have just told you to go back to your dorm rooms and lock yourselves in your room until you sweat it out or whatever, you know? He's like, but I brought you down here because I thought you were on meth or something, or I thought you were on speed, you know? There's a big problem with meth and speed in Pomona, and, you know, I thought you guys were doing some bad shit. He's like, if you'd have just been honest, I probably would have let you go, but now that I have you here, I'll tell you, I'm not going to actually arrest you. I'm not going to read you your Miranda rights. I'm not even going to call the real cops. He's like, I'm just going to, it's going to be a, a disciplinary action through the school. And I'm like, will my parents find out about it? And then he's like, nah, your parents won't find out about it unless you tell them to. You're an adult. I said, cool. My mom's never finding out about this shit. I've since told her. So sorry, mom. And, uh, you know, he's like, but what I am going to do is like, call some of my co-workers in so that they can test you guys and see what it looks like uh, with field tests when you're on acid and we said alright cool a couple other cops came in they're giving us field tests and like this whole time we're going man what the fuck happened you know and he goes well your friend Pete we sat down and he said look man if I was hypothetically to tell you off the record, I want this to be off the record. He said, okay, you're off the record. Go ahead. He said, if I was to tell you off the record that we're on acid, what would you do and how would we get in trouble? And he said, well, and he goes off the record. If you were to tell me that you were on acid, I would just call you a bunch of fucking nerds and I would hold you here until I don't think you're a, a harm to anyone or yourself and I'll let you go home. And he goes, all right, man. Well, then off the record, we're on acid. And that was the story. So the whole night, this off the record thing became the joke. And so I was I was like at one point the cops like you know so he's doing the field test and I and I was like yeah let me tell you something officer off the record when you're giving me those field tests at the top of the hill that was the best part of my trip I was tripping my fucking balls off man and he's like oh god he starts laughing and then that kind of bonded us because he actually busted me a couple times throughout the year for like you know drinking or he caught me in the parking lot smoking weed one time and never really fucked with me because he would just be like he started calling me Babylon because I was talking a lot during the time and he's like oh all right, Babylon, who's the dumbest person in the world? And I'm like, well, officer, I'm the dumbest person in the world right now. I'm sorry that you caught me again. He's like, all right, go back to your dorm. And it became this unspoken bond that we had because he caught me on acid. And so anyway, that is my story about the first time ever doing acid. And I did it a bunch of times after that. And it was still never ruined my trip. So it just goes to show that sometimes experimenting can be fun regardless of, uh, regardless of the outcome. But that being said, I don't promote the use of acid and if you're a kid listening to this and you haven't done it before i'm not at all suggesting that you go do it it is not it's not the route that i suggest in life it just happens to be a route that i took and it's probably a route that alex has taken a few times and so at that point let's get into this podcast with alexander spit who is signed to decon he has a new mixtape coming out called mansions 2 that's an instrumental album he's a very talented rapper and very talented beat maker and he's been doing it for a long time and he has a cool story about um you know, just kind of teaching yourself to be a one-man army and to do everything that you need to do. So, uh, without further ado, here is Alexander Spit. What's up with you, man? Chill. Posted. Uh, website issues. How much of the website are you involved with? You do it all yourself? For the most part. I mean, like, my homie designed, like, the immediate, like... The background and stuff? Yeah, but I gave him all the elements and yeah. assets for it. Like, I do pretty much 80% of it, and then, like, there's one dude that just kind of, like, maps it out. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Does all the coding to make everything work for the most part, but... 
because I'm regularly updating that shit. Like it's, it's something that you just have to know for yourself. Yeah, like I pretty much had to t- like based on like whatever I saw, what codes he does, I just like copy and paste and yeah. hope it works. Are you someone that kind of teaches yourself whatever you need to learn? Yeah, always. Yeah, yeah it's like. Yeah, I always will like usually do that for the sake of just like I don't like waiting on people, you know what I mean? I'm but the especially same way. when most of like the work and the folks that I work with, like in regards to my music and help, it's not like I'm have a huge budget to pay off homies and shit. It's kinda like yeah. a lot of favors and then like once you do more than one favor for somebody it turns into a hassle. Yeah, exactly. You, you could tell when homies is annoyed. <laughs> so it's like And you know, they say if you want to get a job done right, do it yourself. Exactly. And, yeah. and I kinda feel the same exact way. And plus it's at the end of the day, once like I know that shit, I'm like, all right, I'm good. Like I don't need you know what I mean? And yeah. plus like I usually try to expand my knowledge on whatever like I learn a little bit. Like, Lifelong learner. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, I feel like that's kind of a theme of your whole shit is like do it yourself it's very diy yeah. you talk about it a bit i mean it's something that is like it's not like a a gimmick you know what i mean it's more just like yeah it's just like kind of like what it's, i do it's like and you it's have to like, yeah and it's like i only like put that like tagline out there due to the fact that it's like the truth about like pretty much 99.9 percent of anything like tagged to alexander spit it's usually like pretty much done all in house by myself with like the exception of maybe little quirks here and there of like technological stuff that I don't have any control or knowledge yeah I feel like kids these days don't realize or maybe not even kids these days maybe they do realize maybe it's the older heads that don't realize that like nowadays you really have to be kind of everything all in one you have to Mm -hmm. be your own social media guy you have to be your designer you have to be everything your own marketing marketing (laughs) yeah all of that you gotta figure it out and then even the next step you do all your own production and write your raps so you're mm -hmm. like a very multifaceted yeah i mean it's kind of like i feel like a lot of the artists that like when i was like coming up in rap and stuff like that the artists that i really liked and respected maybe i don't know if they were 100 percent doing it themselves but like they at least gave off the illusion that they did like who you know like the living legends yeah. like slug all the rhyme stairs camp and stuff and given there was like you know it was like not a machine but there was a team and like a movement behind them but so you could tell like, the team was all really close homies exactly so when it's just like you know what i mean like when you look at a lot of like industry artists and stuff like that like even down to like their flyers you know they didn't even look at that flyer or approve it or anything right. sometimes it's like it's kind of just like some marketing like graphic design dude intern like on the team whipped it together for them you know yeah and they're just like i guess it's not even so much that they don't know but they just don't care and like, right. that's the shit like for me i care about all of that kind of stuff you know what i mean like i just there's like an aesthetic that i like to withhold i was just know? gonna say so, uh you know as someone who appreciates that and can relate to what you're going through it's like i really appreciate your visual aesthetic i think yeah. you have a really strong like eye for design and stuff like that like what are some of the things over the years that have influenced your style of design and your aesthetic i mean in the beginning like i didn't even care about that stuff in the beginning you know it's just like strictly music i didn't care about the mixes or engineering but it's like over time you kind of learn from the people you look up to and respect and it's like like there was yeah the living legends atmosphere a lot of like underground hip-hop cats that's and like the def jux has in my opinion always had like their own aesthetic that they were kind of like maintaining whether it was like sonically visually even like their charisma on the stage was like a different than like, you know what I mean? Whatever else was out there. But I know like when I was like around like 17, 18, I got hip to this group from Winston Salem that 
moved to Los Angeles about like four or five years ago. They went by Brother Reed. I don't oh know yeah, if, yeah, I know Brother yeah. Reed. They live in LA now, don't they? Yeah, uh, the producer of that. They're they're actually no longer Brother Reed. They like. They now go under another name of Widows, which is like a different style of music than what they were doing with Brother Reed. But regardless, it was like an MC, this dude named Jimmy Jams, and then Bobby Evans was the producer. And um, that was the first time I started to really appreciate like aesthetic in regards to like design, album artwork and shit. Because like, Yeah, their shit was sharp. Yeah, and like they did it themselves. Their producer would handle all of like their flyers, their album artwork, and it was their own aesthetic. It wasn't even necessarily like the aesthetic that they chose that I liked. I think it was just more of like the consistency. Like every time they dropped like a single or something, like it had that aesthetic, and it was like it made it so like anytime I seen anything in the outside world of that, I subconsciously associated that with Brother Reed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not like that's gonna happen with. 100% of the people that view anything, you know, or your aesthetic, but for the people that that does matter to, I think it, it does lead. I, I always you know think I mean? about uh, when you really think about a design that as soon as you see it, you're like, oh, that's that brand. Like, uh, yeah. think about DC's graphic design, how they had the thin letter and exactly. that's the, for the first name and the thick letters, like exactly. the bold letters for last name. As soon as you see that, you're like, oh, DC. Yeah, it's like all those subtle things. Like, I think like the subconscious in regards to marketing and everything, like, I, I, I mean, like, I think to marketing experts, that's a big deal, but like to the everyday artists and stuff, they kind of overlook those little like consistencies yeah those little consistencies but i think those are like huge you know like yeah i'm like anal as fuck about the font used for my name on a flyer you know what i mean like if a bad font is used and like more importantly just the font other than the one i always use is like used for my name like it just like throws off the aesthetic that I'm going for. You yeah, know I mean? think in the I, well, like with myself now, when other people are hiring me to play shows, I let them do their flyer. Okay, yeah, you mm-hmm. guys promote in your little area with that flyer, but I'm gonna make my own exactly because that's, I know how I want it to that's look. That's always what I do. Yeah. Also, like I always make my own flyer in addition to whatever the party promoter. Tell me about some of the programs you've taught yourself over the years. It started with the first program I started using in regards to my music and anything was Fruity Loops. Yeah. And actually, no, before that, acid, before that, (laughs) it was uh, a four track player. And then that evolved into me learning how to use like uh, a little beat machine, which evolved into me using Cool Edit Pro. Yeah, I use Cool Edit. Which is like the booth version version of of Pro Pro Tools. Tools. Yeah, Yeah. but it's actually like. We still use use it. (laughs) Yeah, I I learned how to use Pro Tools because of Cool Edit Pro. So then it ended up like working out all good, you know? So I learned Cool Edit and then I started making beats on Fruity Loops. And then the homie told me like, dude, this this new beat making software called Reason. Yeah, Reason. It's going to make your shit sound epic blah 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 so then i taught myself reason and then once i had those music elements down yeah and then i learned pro tools and then yeah and then eventually i learned photoshop and then lately i've been teaching myself and then i taught myself iMovie and then lately i've been teaching myself final cut pro and all that stuff and wordpress programming yeah yeah, now wordpress everything yeah so yeah so you got to be all in one you got to be a self-sustaining vehicle yeah for sure and i think if anything i don't even think it's I myself appreciate that, but I don't even know if that's like the necessary thing. I think it's more just like having taste at the end of the day. So it's like if you're not going to do that, you should be able to like know how to voice your own opinion and know what you want to 
like the aesthetic that you do Absolutely. want to like translate to another person to pushing your artistry is as much about the curation mm -hmm. uh, of what exactly. like the aesthetic curation the audio curation all of that stuff like you're as much of a curator as you are an artist you know what exactly I mean? like yeah. speaking of slug and atmosphere one thing that i read uh, in an interview a long time ago he used to say or he said in an interview like you know i'm actually really not that good at making songs like i just make a shitload of them and then i'm good at making um i used to be good at making mixtapes for people so that's i yeah. just i just record a bunch of songs and then make a mixtape out of them and then that's how i make my that's, albums that's genius he's yeah. like I'm, he's like i'm just good at putting together the right songs to make you think i'm a good musician mm -hmm. you know exactly um so you're from san francisco yeah, yeah, I was born out here in LA and at Cedars, yeah, in LA. Okay, and I lived down here, like in the in the valley, like on Van Nuys, until I was like nine or ten. Oh, okay, my dad got laid off from a job, and then are you Korean? Filipino. Oh, you're Filipino. Yeah. yeah, I fucking thought you were Korean. I don't know why. <laughs> Filipino. So uh, both folks we are Filipino. We look the same, dog. Nah, that's we not. I'm actually. I'm usually good at. I'm usually good at distinguishing between different Asians yeah, living yeah. in LA. But I, fuck, I'm I've not. literally gotten like everything. Like, yeah, Somebody's like told me like I believe everything. You're racially ambiguous. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but yeah, both my folks is Filipino. What did your folks do when they're when you were born? How did they meet? Let's go there. Shit, they met through a mutual friend. I think in down here in los angeles my dad was a flight attendant i think at the time oh, wow. so he was traveling a whole bunch and yeah. my mom's was living down here she does like cosmetics like she she works for like chanel she's always worked for like different makeup companies and whatnot but were they second generation americans first generation americans uh, like, yeah my mom's grew up in the philippines okay. and then like when she turned i think 18 or something she moved out here yeah. the whole family kind of moved out here and then my pops was born and raised in san francisco and stuff like that but his his mom and pops is yeah. from the Philippines. Right, right. You ever go out to the Philippines? I went like twice or like two or three times in my life at an early age. Like the last time I went, I think was I was like seven. So you don't really remember it that much? I don't remember anything, but it's crazy because my uncle who lives in the Philippines, it's like his 25th wedding anniversary and he wants to get like the whole... Everybody to come out? The whole gang, yeah, the whole family to go out there like in December. So I think I'm going out there in December trying to do some shows. That'll be dope. Kick it and yeah. like go, go in some like blue ocean water, you know? What yeah, I mean? like, yeah. So beach. born in Van Nuys and what was the childhood like up there? Uh, it was, you know, it's like... As normal? As, it was like, yeah, it's normal. Like everything is normal until you until you see something different. Right. So pretty much like... I grew up like I guess lower middle class, middle class somewhere around there, you know what I mean? And it's like grew up around hella Mexicans, you know what I mean? And it's like that was a norm to me. It was like the norm to like for me to eat certain foods for dinner. Right. Or, like it was the norm for my to like go to McDonald's certain nights of the week with the fam for dinner or like fast food for dinner and not really think anything of it, just kinda thinking like that's like what families do. Like right, right. on a I'm, Friday night we might go get a bucket of KFC chicken totally. and that's like Were you playing a lot of sports as a kid and shit? Yeah. You got yeah. brothers and sisters? I got an older brother, yeah. We was How much older? a lot. He's two years older than me. So Okay, so that's the same dynamic as my family. I have yeah. a, a younger brother that's two years younger than me. And so like it was the same thing, kinda mm -hmm. like lower middle class to middle class and like it's funny because nowadays I feel like when, if you tell somebody like, yeah, I'm taking my kids to McDonald's, people will be like, yeah, you what's wrong with like you? I did, that's and, what and I'm We grew up eating McDonald's like three nights a week exactly. because we were busy going between fucking baseball, basketball, soccer, skiing. And he was hyped when you would yeah. get that. Oh, it was I like a big it. deal. That was like... They're good at brainwashing kids. Yeah. You yeah. know, I went to all like Sizzler, all that stuff. Was like, <laughs> Sizzler cute, was you know a big I mean? deal. But 
but it wasn't like I still to this day don't even look down on that stuff. But yeah. it's, just, it's just funny because like so yeah, like we moved, we lived like that kind of lifestyle, I guess, until we was ten and like doing certain cultural things. Like my parents aren't like hella Filipino culture, you know what I mean? But like there's like subtle things, you know what I mean? Like if my mom cooked, she literally cooked rice for like every meal, even right. if it was like. A hamburger. Right. She was cooking burgers. She would like have rice. Gotta have rice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. weird, you know. And it was like I didn't even like see any difference because like I had homies when I was younger, but it's not like I was like out there going to hella homies' house and shit. I, I kicked it with like my neighbor and my brother a lot yeah. of the time. How were you at school when you were that age? I feel like you'd be a good student at that time. Like. I think I was doing pretty good, but there was like subtle things I remember. I was like, I've always been like, not like a born rebel or anything, but I remember like one of like the distant memories I have, which I just reminisced on the other day was like when Dare was coming to school and stuff. And me and all the kids I was kicking with were just like hating on Dare the whole time that they're like, whatever. I feel like the age group that we were going through had a fucking really stupid anti-drug program because it was like, just say no. Yeah. And it's like, if you're thinking at all by that age, it's like, why? Why should I say no? Like, just say no is a fucking. And not only that, they didn't even really give like harsh realities. They would just be like you smoke this and you'll get high and feel good yeah exactly <laughs> like, it's like oh wait that you, shit makes you feel good I, i'm you, curious you drink this you'll feel good like, yeah and then like yeah they didn't even really give cons really like yeah. in a negative way it was kind of just like yeah it was almost like glorifying it if you looked at it in a certain way so right. i remember like growing up it was like yeah me and the homies i remember like thinking like fuck that like i'm gonna grow up and be a drug addict like yeah. i remember saying that or like, like anti kid. anti-smoking like, shit you know yeah. it's like you would hear all this shit about anti-smoking but the thing is uh, all the fucking cool kids smoke. <laughs> like yeah. every fucking male in my family smoked too both yeah, my grandfathers exactly. my dad did it's like all my male influence smoked it's like you're go- like no anti-smoking fucking campaign not, is gonna make you not smoke cigarettes and it's weird because like the other day I was smoking at a coffee shop yeah. and like some mom passed with their kid and like I'm pretty good about like make if I, I I'm very like you know conscious of when yeah. like there's a little kid around or like certain people I know that don't like who look like they're not going to enjoy cigarette smoke I make sure to not smoke in their direction but I remember this mom just like looking at me shaking her head and her kid like looking at me shaking her head and the mom's being like don't ever do what that man's doing oh. and I was just like all right, whatever. But is this funny to me? Like, because yeah, like for me growing up, for some reason, I liked the smell of cigarettes. Yeah. Like, the same way, like I appreciate the smell of gasoline. Like yeah. it's a weird, like, I don't know if that's some weird man shit or that's some weird, like fucked up twisted shit, but it's not like I like them. Like I'm going to scent my room with cigarette <laughs> smoke and gasoline, yeah. but it was be one safe. of those things. Like if I smelt it, I wasn't like, right, right. It, it has, has an appeal to it. Yeah. It wasn't it's funny like what you nasty. say about the lady walking by. Cause I feel like, um, people that don't smoke that walk by a smoker in their head, they're thinking, Oh, that fucking asshole, not paying attention to where he's smoking. And in our heads while we smoke and somebody walks by, we're like, Oh shit, I hope I don't blow it in their face. I'm so yeah, sorry. Like, exactly. like you feel guilty about it, but they don't, nah. people don't realize that nah, shit. You yeah. know, Fool is cold hearted still. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So what dad gets laid off and then you guys move up to san francisco exactly yeah so pops gets laid off and like there's like a from doing the, the he was doing flight attendant work yeah, flight and attendant. then he started doing like he started working at golf clubs and oh, stuff okay. like that like doing catering and stuff like that yeah. like managing the catering not not like as a chef or anything. Yeah, yeah and then around like the age of like 10 
or like nine or ten is when he got laid off and there was like a three to four year period where he was straight looking for work and at that time it was like my mom supporting the family and then that's when I like slowly but surely started to realize that we weren't of like because I, I had friends that had a little bit of money you know what I mean like and I think you never realize as a kid that you're broke until you like are an adult and you see your parents doing good. And you're like, damn, we were broke when I was a kid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, and like I, that's like like I was saying, like around that time is when I started to notice it because it would be like my pops would be going for like months at a time, like like literally just traveling anywhere looking for work, right? And my mom's was just like at the dinner table and she would be crying and I would just be like, mm. hella confused. You know what I mean? Like not even really associated and like not even like that emotionally affected by it, but just kind of just like confused. Like, yeah. why is my mom crying right, like, right now? Right. Like, is she just stressed out? Like, what is she stressing about? But then like in retrospect, it's like, you know, you know my mom's just trying to take care yeah. of like family of four, you know what I mean? And it's like, but regardless, around the age of 12 or 13 is when my pops got a job in the Bay Area in this area called Marin County. He was working at this town called Fairfax. And So did you guys move to San Francisco in the interim? So you had already been there for a couple of years before he finally got work? No, or? what happened is he moved to the Bay Area and he lived there for like a year. Trying to find work so you, he could bring you guys up. Uh actually what it is he got work and he was just saving money like you. living up there you know what i mean because yeah, yeah. he was staying at there was like weird like country club houses or something right, like right, that right. clubhouses at the golf course that he was working managing yeah and he just stayed there and it was just a stack and bread and then eventually he moved me and the fam up to marin county which is kind of like i want to say like rancho cucamonga-esque I but like you. i think like a little bit more it's like one of the mo- more desired places to live in the world i think yeah. it's got a lot of money essentially like yeah. it's a nice like you know it's a lot of white people it's a good spot yeah it's a lot of white people open there's not a lot of like fun cultural things to do but it's like it's, it's nature. safe it's safe there's like a lot of nature but then there's also weird dark sides of it you know what i mean there's the lower class there yeah like and anytime that anytime and that like you that. get like a white bread community like that there's always meth. drugs <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly like hella Fuck. pills hella meth yeah and hella kids on probation is pretty much what it was because like, so. when when you're in a community like that like the kids get bored and they want to fucking find trouble to get into exactly yeah so yeah when i moved up there that was when i started realizing that not like I was different and not like that was something I was like proud of or like trying to rep or anything. But that's where I realized that me and my family and just me in general was different than the rest of my peers. Because at that point, but prior to that, I was going to a school with like pretty mixed races. You know, there was black kids, white. I yeah. think there was more minorities than white kids. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. And it like I didn't I never saw in race. You know what I mean? Like I can honestly say, you know what I mean? And then I moved to Marin County and I went to a school where like there's like one or two black kids, like couple Mexicans, you know, a couple Asians, like a couple Middle Eastern kids, you know what I mean? Just but mainly white fools. Mainly white fools. And not only just mainly white fools, but like rich. Were they you know f- what I mean? Were like, they assholes about race ever? Did you ever catch flack? Like did you did you ever get called here fucking here and there, yeah. It's just like you know those subtle shit. That shit's never affected me. Just subtle yeah. like Asian jokes like for kids, I think when I was growing up were hella corny because just like Bruce Lee, yeah. like Jet Lee or yeah. like that's about it. Right, <laughs> right. I mean? they, like, there's know. not a lot of range yeah, in the jokes. Like, they don't really know anything other than that. You know what I mean? And so it wasn't even that big of a deal. It was kind of more just like I, w- I could just see the lines and the difference between me and these other kids. Like the first time when I moved to Marin County, like on top of spring break, the school system out there has something called Ski Week. Oh, shit. Which is dedicated to 
to everybody going skiing. For people, families to go up to like Tahoe and go skiing. And that is that balling. Yeah, it's crazy. Like <laughs> that in itself was like a mind fuck for me. Did you ski? No, never. I still haven't. I, I think I've skied once in my life like yeah. when I was young, but I don't go to the snow. Like I, I think I like it, but like I don't. That's not a recreation. Yeah, it's a, tr- it's a trip down here. To, like a lot of people in Southern California have never even seen the snow. Yeah, exactly. They're like, I, yeah, I'm raised here and I've never been in the snow. I'm like, that's a fucking trip. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I appreciate it. I just like it wasn't one of those things that yeah. like me and the fam did. But that's like around the time I started realizing I was a lot different than other heads is when I started kind of like. I guess, yeah, I guess in a weird way, taking pride in that. So it's like the kids I started kicking it with were the kids that were not rich. You know what I mean? The outsiders. Yeah, exactly. The outsiders. So heads that were kind of on the same tip as me. So it's like it was funny because I lived in this area that was like, you know what I mean? There was a lot of money, but then there's also like a lot of people that not everyone in the area is going to have money. You know what I mean? It's like they're kind of like fortunate to have found a spot in this area. So that was kind of the case for my fam. And I started kicking it with a lot of homies. Yeah, like you were saying, the outsiders of like that area. This is when you're like 13, you said? Yeah. Were you already in love with music at this point? Yeah, that's like where I really started to... I found Wu-Tang when I was like 11, I think. And like that's what set off the whole thing yeah. for me you know what i mean it was just the drums you know what i mean it was like the beats yeah really same like, I, I was you know this year is the 20 year anniversary of doggy style and 36 chambers yeah, that's crazy. A, that's a trip and like yeah. yeah those are the two albums that made me like i was in love with music already but those were the two that was like they didn't leave the cd no, changer real shit yeah. and that's how i mean up until like maybe six seven years ago the same cds have been in rotation but nowadays like everything's so fast paced yeah that yeah you can't really do that but i still end up finding myself like at least once a month listening to 36 chambers listening yeah. to doggy style listening to like scarface the diary yeah. red man there's a dark side that's like, my favorite thing to do is like subconsciously like not let yourself listen to an album for like six months yeah and then put it on you put it on you still remember all the fucking words i love that shit yeah it's the best yeah and that's like i don't know that shit don't really exist no more were you you already starting to play like i know when i was a youth when i found out about like Wu Sang, when i found out about snoop and all that shit i started taking their raps and kind of like rearranging them to put my name in it or something were you doing that kind of shit little kind of subtly like i don't think like i didn't have cadence down when i was a kid like yeah we was doing stuff like that but i didn't really have a concept of cadence yet i don't think like my it was more just like we would choose their beats, you know? So we would like, we would go to tower records and like, look for like a CD single or something like that. If it had an instrumental on it, we usually copped it. And then like, you know what I mean? We would subtly like try to rap like conceptually the same as like a lot of the artists we listen to, but cadence wise, not so much, Mm. but, um, slowly but surely, yeah, that ended up happening. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, kind of like stealing cadences and like yeah. stealing like mainly it was like vocal tones yeah. and like concepts more so than like the actual. Cadences. I would actually like, just steal like the exact rhyme and like change your name. Yeah. yeah, like that's I rem- tight. Yeah, like I remember. I may have already told this story on here, but I snowboarded a lot as a kid. Like I was mm-hmm. in the snow all the time. So I remember kids used to like like to ride the lift line with me because I yeah. had all of Snoop's Lottie Dottie memorized, and they'd be like, "Yo, rap all of Lottie Dottie," yeah, and I would tight. rap. The whole thing and then anytime he said like S N double O P I would yeah. just say big L double E you know what I mean? Like shit like yeah, that. That's tight. Yeah, yeah. I mean I feel that like honestly to this day, like as a fan of rap and hip hop culture, like I like to learn like rap or like no rap songs you know what i mean because i know like, a song's good when it makes me want to memorize the verse. Exactly. And I think it betters my craft when I like absolutely can consistently 
rapping. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, even if it's another person's songs, like, obviously, I'm not, nowadays, I'm not going to go record someone else's song or do like a cover, but it's like, just being in the craft and like physical activity of like consistently rapping and rhythm and cadence and stuff. Absolutely, like, man. I, I think that's some real Mr. Miyagi shit. Like I used to yeah. actually do um, some community service, like teach a, I used to teach a volunteer um, rap class. Like mm-hmm. I would teach a writing class. And the first assignment was like, memorize your favorite rap. Yeah, because tight. like, if you can memorize your rap and rap it just like the person, then, you, yeah. then you'll be able to find your own style exactly. because that means at least you are getting a concept of rhythm and cadence. Nah, like you're saying, yeah, you it's, know? it's one of those things that like, yeah, over the years like i can't think i always knew i just never knew how to put words exactly that concept and idea yeah exactly so you're listening to rap music when was the moment when you're like i want to be a rapper it was me sixth grade me and this kid kelsey rivera and this kid mark fitzgerald and francisco ramirez Kelsey bought. It sounds a, like an early '80s Dodgers team or something. Yeah, we went by Mac F, the first letter of all of our names. M A K F. So Mac F was yeah. our crew, and Kelsey, the homie, had a tape recorder, just like a little voice recorder yeah. thing, like one of those little squares with a handle on it. Exactly. That's the yeah. same shit I exactly. recorded my first rap song. Exactly. So it was like we would get blank tapes. We would go to. I remember at that time there was a site, I think it's still up, undergroundhiphop.com. Yeah, yeah. They had a section called Free Beats. Yeah. It was called Real Audio Player. Real Player uh-huh. was like the thing. It was yeah. like a streaming. It was yeah, like that stream. was like one of the first MP3 players. And it was like booth quality. Oh, super like, bad. Yeah, it was like hella bad quality. 96 like, KPS and yeah, shit. Yeah, exactly. But it sounded tight regardless. So we would play beats on that and... We would just put the tape recorder next to the speakers, click record, and this freestyle shit. And I remember sixth grade, we did like a whole tape of nothing, pretty much talking shit about the girls, calling people fags. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Just like stupid, young, delinquent did shit. Did you make you copies I mean? of it? We made 50 copies and sold them for like a couple bucks each. And we sold out like at school. At school. Wow. Like we just hustled. And like after that, did I was you like, design a cover and shit? It was like hand drawn everything. You know what I mean? All cassette tapes. Nah, like, young entrepreneur, dog. That's yeah. tight. But it was kind of yeah it was just fun you know what i mean like we had nothing else to do and it was like we did that and what was the reaction like from your peers everyone was like i don't think anyone like could quote i could quote say like you guys are good rappers it was more just like this is tight like because it's like at that time there wasn't pro tool you know what i mean like people didn't have home recording setups really at that time it was kind of like the tier between nowadays like the different tiers of like entertainment people is like it was back then it was as famous or nobody right, right. you know what i mean you and didn't like, you didn't have a concept of like underground and yeah, stuff like that it was just exactly like, nowadays it's kind of like everyone's kind of in that little yeah. mesh mesh together in the entertainment realm yeah. like like famous people aren't that famous anymore right. and people that aren't that famous are hella famous for some reason right, you know right, what right. I mean? so but back then it was just like everyone thought it was cool as fuck that we was making rap tapes you know what i mean so we we just and, continued and back, it. back then it seemed like this when i would hear like albums or cds that i would go buy it seemed like this unreachable plateau that they had made it's like holy shit they have yeah, a recorded album that exactly. was like unfathomable no, you know what i mean like shit. you really had to be part of the music industry to have your own album and, exactly. now, and now it's like it's so democratized that like yeah. anybody could go make a record exactly, now my mom yeah. could put out a rap tape tomorrow no exactly and then, like, i was tripping out i was watching mtv jams the other day yeah. at the crib and they was doing some throwback Thursday shit, which is funny because the throwbacks was literally just like 2008. Right. Isn't that weird? And shit, yeah, but, that's weird. But then they played videos, like Petey Pablo, oh, Born yeah. and Raised, North yeah. Carolina track or whatever. 
And in that video, which like most of the videos at that time, there's like the hood shot where it's right. like him and his whole hood, like in front of some cars deep, and shit, two hundred yeah. deep in the cars, and you're like. Fools used to come out for music videos, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, if the homie said, like, he had a music video shoot... Such a big deal back then? Everyone came out. Huge that was a big deal. deal. But nowadays, it's like... If you yeah. don't have a music video, the song doesn't exist yeah, in this day exactly. and age. Real shit. And nowadays, too, it's like, if you hit me up and said you had a music video shoot, like, anybody. It could be anybody. Like, I would have to check my schedule to right. make sure I can make it first. But back then, it was kind of like, if you got invited to a video shoot... Huge deal. You getting ready... You know what I mean? You get in hype. Oh, even a couple years ago when you did the uh, uh, beat to the street. Yeah. And that was like a lot of people weren't filming videos quite yet back exactly, then. Like yeah. music videos. It was like, oh, come through Force to my music video. Out. I was like, hell fucking yeah, yeah. We're going to be in a music video. Yeah. Oh, shit. I better put on my nicest shirt. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I know. It's just crazy how everything's fast forward. Yeah. Nowadays. It's so it's like, fast. It's like crazy. But yeah, like. So you put out the tape in, in sixth put grade. Put out the tape. Everyone yeah. was fucking with it. And then that kind of evolved into us being like, all right, now we need to like up our game with this recording a little bit that's when we started getting came across cool edit somehow i don't even know how we came across it what in like what eighth seventh grade eighth grade seventh grade wow. yeah something like that yeah. so we started recording on cool edit and then we started making beats on fruity loops and then like it was kind of just like going on like that for a while we put out another tape it was kind of the same reaction but it wasn't like and i'll be straight up after around this time sixth or seventh grade i made the conscious decision that i wanted to be like immersed in the hip-hop culture yeah and more importantly just be a rapper yeah but at that time is when i really got into hip-hop and i would like and it was cool back then too because like it was crazy because i was seventh grade and it's not like you could like go on tumblr and go like See what hashtag cool. hip-hop yeah. outfits yeah and learn how to like like nowadays you could do something like that like how to be a c-punk right, like right what music to listen to to be a c-punk right, you know what i mean right. and like you could fit the mold within a week you know what I mean? But back then, it was like, I was like a fan of hip hop music and the culture. But like, to learn that culture, you really had to be immersed in it in one way or another. So like, at that time, I was going to like record shops. How far are you from the city and how far are you from the town? I like in a 20 Marin? minute bus ride to both of them. And were so you like, were you going into the... I was mainly going to San Francisco a lot. So yeah. I was going to Hate Street, Amoeba. I was going to Berkeley also, like to go to Telegraph. Were to you were you super shops. into like Bay Area music? Like the Bay Area rap Yeah, yeah, more very much so. Yeah. Like, it was weird because it's... Like, well, I hear like uh, about a kid making tapes in sixth grade and yeah. handing them out, and that sounds like some E40 trunk hustle type yeah, shit. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, that's that Bay Area mentality. They yeah. really taught the world about the independent hustle. No, for sure. It's funny because, like, until I moved to Los Angeles, like a couple years ago, I had like an idea in my head that everyone kind of knew about all these Bay Area artists that I've always known about. It's a bubble. It's, it's like really a, much so yeah. a bubble. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. But yeah, so it's like. That's when I realized I really wanted to be a musician and immerse myself in the culture. So, yeah, I would go to shows and I would just see subtle shit. Like, what was your first rap show? The first rap show I went to was Executioners and Triple Threat DJs. So, it's not a rap show, but it was like, it was like a, a hip hop show. show. Yeah, yeah. It was at Maritime Hall, which no longer exists in Frisco. And it was like amazing to me. Yeah. Like, like literally the stuff that like I take for granted now and most people that go to shows probably take for granted if you're like past a certain age. But I remember I was like, it looks so tight when everyone's hands was oh, up. Oh, yeah. Like, it still looks tight. People, I feel day. like people don't know that they're supposed to throw their hands up anymore and do, yeah. th like, this action up and down with yeah, the beat, you know? exactly. But, like, I remember, like, seeing that for the first time and, like, seeing, like, a crowd of, like, a couple hundred people doing that. I was like, this is the tightest. Yeah. That's tight Oh, fuck. dude, the, that synchronicity, you know? like, everybody kind of synchronized. I remember going to my first uh, rap shows in L.A. because there was no rap shows where I'm from, obviously. Yeah. And so when I moved to L.A., going to my first rap shows, what I thought was awesome was um, 
they used to play instrumentals between yes. the acts so yeah. that everybody could get into ciphers no, and people exactly. would rap in the crowd and now that would be like super fucking lame yeah, at this point corny, in time yeah. but at the time it was so tight no that was a big deal like the songs in between sets like yeah. were dope and it was almost like a set in itself like I remember yeah you would have to try to remember like okay what was that shit so that I can try to figure out who it was later because exactly. like, there was no smartphones with fucking yeah, Shazam on exactly. it back then you know what I mean it's like you'd have to pay attention to what they were playing exactly yeah yes. So, I mean, yeah, that would happen. I remember after that show, I would go to shows and I'd buy hella merch. Like, oh, that's yeah. That's like, what my money was spent Me on too. was merch. It's like, and I'm sure you were just like this, but I was that kid who would buy the merch and then wear it to the next show exactly. to show that I was at the last show. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you wanted to brag. You wanted, yeah. like, it was like a rite of passage kind of like to Absolutely. like sh- that you like knew the set almost you know yeah. what i mean like knew like the little quirky callbacks they'd be doing in their sets like before they even start doing it you know like all that shit i took hella pride in and it was fun back then to be a yeah, real fan it was tight. you know what i mean it was tight. and it wasn't like thirsty and as, or ti- yeah, as time goes like, on you kind of like you grow out of that and and, yeah. and i miss it i miss being like a real fucking yeah, fan showing you know up to shows at before doors oh. like and maybe an hour before doors dude a living legend like, show in 2001 i showed up to um lamert park they were playing yeah. at uh at the place where they do the blow i showed up there at fucking three in the afternoon yeah. just to make sure i could get because on the web they said like you get there room, the room only fits 70 <laughs> people get there yeah. early and, and in my head i was like damn the living legends are fucking huge yeah. there's gonna be like 400 people there. Yeah. we better get there early so we drove up from pomona at 3 30 in the afternoon man mm-hmm. yeah no, i feel you i was i was that dude i was staying yeah yeah. Front row. If I had a piss, I held it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. I was there opening act to headliner, you yeah. know, just to like say that I did that. Yeah, you know I what I mean? You. Just be like, I'm down. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'm down. So yeah, a bunch of years went by of that, just immersing myself in the culture, perfecting my own craft here and there, like via learning how to make beats, learning how, what, how to record, what were you like? What were you like in high school at that point? Shit, I was fucking up. Like, it was by high school, it was when, like, that same group of kids that I was kicking with in middle school, like, mind you, a big aspect of all of this is, like, I started smoking weed in sixth grade. I was going to ask, like, because <laughs> I know, like, you know, yeah. the psychedelia is a part of your aesthetic as well. And so I was going to say, like, when did you start smoking weed? When yeah. did you try psychedelics? Like, when did you just start drinking alcohol? It was at this time, sixth grade is when Marshall Mathers LP came out. Yeah. And. That was the first time I'd really... I mean, I'd heard drug re- references in rap, but I didn't get them because they were using a lot of slang and shit like that. But Eminem, I feel like, was really like coherent and clear about all of it. Like, a drug is a drug, and it fucks you up, and it's crazy, and you party. You know what I mean? Like, a lot of rap prior to that, it was kind of more either, like, talking down on it, or they were just saying shit. Like, they, it was either you were down with like, smoking. Like, I didn't know what a hair on blunt was yeah, when exactly, I was a kid. You exactly. I mean? Everyone <laughs> kind of masked the drugs they were talking about yeah, before Eminem came along. Exactly. Because it's like, like, yeah, the Wu-Tang talked about Wu-Bangers, but nobody exactly. realized that it was a blunt dipped in PCP because exactly. it was like a coded language. Exactly. And here comes Eminem talking about, like, yes, I do acid. Yes, I do cocaine. Exactly. Yes, I do this and that, you know? Yeah, so Eminem's, that shit came out, and me and the homies really, like, we we loved Eminem like oh, that yeah. album you know and not only did we love Eminem like that was around the crazy when everyone started like wanting to be Eminem oh yeah you know that was I mean? a huge so, thing if you're a kid nowadays and you I feel like if you heard Eminem you'd be like I don't understand what the big deal is but yeah. at the time that but shit was a fucking kids phenomenon have, kids have Tyler now you yeah know he mean? was so a phenomenon like, back then no real shit like huge like yeah. people was coming to school exact outfits hell yeah exact outfits oh like, yeah hair and everything like trying to talk like him. the hand like, gestures that yeah, he had was like exactly so yeah we started smoking weed we would buy weed off the seventh graders <laughs> when we were sixth grade 
And around this time, too, we was doing stupid shit. Like, I remember the homies would go on, like, websites and, like, like a drugs.com or something and, like, look up drugs and be like, we got to try this one. Uh. We got to try this one. And, like, not I, it wasn't even coming out of some depression, some, like, weird shit. It was just literally, like, wanting to experience on some shit. Yeah. It was just on some shit. Yeah. And around this time, my grandma was living at the crib and she literally had, due to a lot of different various health reasons and shit, she literally had the mother load of painkillers on deck at all times, like Vicodin, Percocet, whatever. And like Eminem so talked about Vicodin and Percocet a lot. Yeah. So we started popping pills when we was a kid. Did you chop and snort too or just nah, pop never, like at that time, snorting was like I associated with cocaine, yeah. which I associated with crack which i associated with death you know what i mean so at that time it was like that shit was like too taboo i Uh, think at that point but only for a couple years i guess you know what i mean and then around this time like i guess we was getting probably our mindsets were getting a little hazy for young kids you know what i mean so by the time high school came like experimental drug use was kind of like the normal the normal thing for us at least not everyone in the county and not everyone in our school but for us it was the norm and not only the norm it was kind of like the flex for the homie to be like yo i tried shrooms you know what i mean being the first dude to like have tried something like i remember i was the first homie that took percocet and vicodin you know and i was like told all the homies the next day and they're like damn you know like that's crazy. Now we all, you know what I mean? It was kind of like everyone trying, trying to one-up one up. each other, you know? So at that time, amongst us, like, trying to one-up each other and then, like, trying to experiment, we ended up doing a lot of different yeah. drugs, you know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't necessarily ab- say abuse them, but the taboo of what drugs are made us feel like we were badass badass you yeah. know kids fucking up yeah, too, yeah. you know because were you going to class every day still yeah we was going up. at this point by high school this is when i stopped like i made the conscious decision between the years of sixth seventh and eighth grade like it's a really weird concept like this goes against everything society tells you and everything but i got so into like hip-hop music and drug culture and kind of just like independent living that I really and like the music I was telling I was listening to was like making it very clear that like the academic structural system was not one that was like the only route to right. be not necessarily successful but to be a, like a like abundant happy person you know yeah. what I mean so by the time high school came I was over academics you know what Did I mean Did you end like, up graduating? Yeah, I graduated high school but it was like the four years of high school were a crazy route. So what happened is by freshman year, like I wasn't going to class, you know what I mean? Me and the homies ditched every day and we would get drunk. We would, you know what I mean? Like go to Safeway and try to like convince someone to buy us a 40. Mm. Back then 40s faded, you know, yeah. like 140 yeah. got you real fucked up. Yeah. Like you smoke some weed with that, you're done for the day. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, and we was doing that type of shit. And then eventually we started experimenting with more drugs and then, like shrooms and shit and then i think coke came into the equation at some point and then like around sophomore year i was getting in a lot of trouble for ditching school i never got in trouble with the law like my whole life i've never gotten like caught up with the law which Knock I'm on like, wood. yeah straight up which i'm like really stoked <laughs> on but sophomore year came and like my parents were like you've literally ditched 90 percent wow of school semester and at that point, they just, like, had enough, essentially. Because, yeah. like, on top of the fact that me ditching, like, my grades was bad. Like, so you had to go to, like, like, continuation school or something? Nah. My parents kicked me out of the house to live with my grandparents wow. in Bel Air down here. Get out. And they lived, like, off of Mel Holland Drive. You're the real Fresh Prince. Yeah. <laughs> but when you're, like, 
a sophomore in high school and you don't have a car and you don't really know nobody, no, you don't know nobody in the neighborhood and you're not going to school, living on like in the hills up there. Oh, you're not stranded. Tight. You're stranded. Yeah. There ain't no, but there you ain't might as well be on, a, you to. might as well be an, on an Island. Exactly. Yeah. Like, so that shit, I was there for like all of my sophomore year and there was nothing to do, you know? So it was like, up in the cuts, no friends. All I had was like, I brought my music set up. So I recorded a lot of music down there. So that's kind of like that sophomore year when I got kicked out of school is kind of where like I really taught myself a lot, like about mixing music, about writing music, about producing and just the whole physical act of like you really got immersed music. in it. Yeah. yeah. And then by the time after What were that, your grandparents doing down in Mulholland in Bel Air? They was just living. They lived there with my uncle. You know what I mean? Like huh. it was just like. That's crazy. Yeah, it was. It was like a weird, like, it was a weird house with no other houses around it. But like, not huh. like a rich mansion or anything. It was just like a neighborhood. It was yeah. like after that year, I went back to school, but not the school that I got kicked out of, which was like a public school. I went to some like probation, like sober high school, like alternative ed continuation type school. And then from there, I went to some other probation school, county school. And mind you, when I got back from part of the deal of me getting back to live in the bay with and be with all my friends essentially was like me promising that i wasn't going to get fucked up anymore because yeah. that was a big deal of it my parents i was openly telling my parents i was getting fucked yeah. up. i just didn't really care at that time but it obviously came back to fuck me over because i had to leave all my friends which when you're young sucks you yeah. know what i mean so when i came back to the bay i was sober i wasn't doing any drugs wasn't drinking and that went on to like I was 20, honestly. Oh, wow. So anyways, like high school, went to a bunch of different continuation schools. Around that time, like uh, when I came back from living in Bel Air, I would start going to these weekly open mic battles. There'd be an MC battle and there'd also be like an open forum. And like it was at a teen center and it was on like Thursday nights from like 7 to like, or like from 6 to like 9 p.m. or something. And they were yapping. They was hella cracking because it was like one of the only hip-hop events in the county and mind you it was like one of the only like thing that kids of all ages could what year do. was that in do you remember i mean whatever I, it was probably around like 2000 i graduated what 2005 i think i graduated i don't uh, know was, so it, was, was like it was it elliot was it elliot throwing those Philip Drummond, yeah, he was a part of it once he started realizing that they were cracking. Okay, so that's I, where I met you. Do you yeah, remember that? Yeah, it's Yo, crazy. I so, fucking threw a shit fit. I will tell that story later. Go, yeah. go keep going. Anyways, yeah, uh, I think I remember. Oh that. man, keep go ahead. I want to tell this story afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyways, there would be these battles, and then that's where it was like, yes, there's finally like a scene. You yeah. know what I mean? And I'm a part of it. Like, yeah. Because not only was I attending it every week, I was performing it and I was bringing heads out and I was killing it like every week, just like in the sense of people was like knowing the words. Like freestyle like, MC battles? Yeah. And, and did like, you excel at that? Yeah. I think in retrospect, it was mainly just like, there wasn't much competition, but it was like something I liked doing, you know? And yeah. it was like, what happened is every other week, Every week it was like I would either win or this kid Campbell would win or this kid Cheshire and like that would go on for like two months. And then you and guys then, formed instant messengers. Exactly. So yeah. it's like those became like homies of mine after yeah. like a couple months and then we formed a group and then that went on like a couple years and that couple year stint of me being in that group is when like that's when I turned like my craft into like pushing it as like a career kind of yeah. you know? like or like it wasn't it, it never hit the magnitude of being like a career like a monetary like income thing but it 
everything like I kind of like still do to this day in music is like elements and shit that like I started doing with that first crew I was in the instant messages. Yeah. So it's in regards to making our own music, like doing everything like ourselves for the most part, you know what I mean? And then booking a show, going through your phone, hitting up everybody, you know, like every L social media network thing, like hitting up everyone, you know, making sure they all come out and then people coming out and then you make sure you document it. And then you show the rest of the world that don't know about you, yeah. what you can do that in a small scale is what I still do now, you know? So, after a few years, the crew broke up. And this is after high school. And I mind you, I graduated high school through homeschooling and stuff. Like, I, I like barely made it out of well, high don't, school. Don't yeah. fast forward past the end semesters because I think that was a big part. I want to yeah. talk like you guys had some, you guys had some varied success. Like, you guys, mm -hmm. uh, you went on tour with, uh, with Grouch or yeah, something? Yeah. yeah. What, he, what essentially happened is my roommate today, Brick Stowell, when he turned 17, he moved to LA. And that kid's just like a bona fide, like natural hustler. Yeah. He, Here, wait, actually, I want to go back a little bit because yeah, that's a whole, that. we're getting into a whole can of worms that yeah. it won't make sense if I tell this story later. So yeah. I remember the first time I met you yeah. was in probably about 2005 at one mm -hmm. of these things that was called a song battle. It was a yes. song battle. Yeah, that's right? what it was. And Elliot, Philip Drummond threw it, right? And he told, at Element Lounge. Yeah, he told me, he goes, I lived in Santa Barbara at the time, mind you, like it was, that's a five hour drive at least to San Francisco. Yeah. And he's like, hey, man, uh, you should come up to San Francisco for this song battle, you know? Like, I know you'll do really good in it, wink, wink. Like, yeah, kind yeah. of like, it'll be like a show almost. So he's, yeah. you know, he's like, drive this fucking five hours and you can perform some songs at this song and battle. And at that time, that was a good look. It was, kinda. it was. It was, there was, no, there was like no shows in San Fran, yeah. it seemed like. And so I was like, all right, cool. That's dope. I got good songs. I'll do good in this, you mm -hmm. know? And so I get there. And like beforehand, they had all the MCs like wait outside or something. Or like, maybe yeah, I was just I outside smoking that. a cigarette. No, I remember that. And you yeah. came up to me and you're like, hey, what's up, man? Your intuition. I'm like, yeah, what's up? dude and you're like hey uh my name's alex like yeah. i'm homies with bo rat you know bo rat right yeah. and i was like yeah yeah bo rat and he's like yeah my group instant messengers we fuck with bo rat and i'm yeah. in this song battle tonight i said like, oh cool nice to meet you and then never thought anything of it because you know like that is what it is and then you actually did really good in that mm -hmm. and then uh my first round, I like had this strategy where I was going to do like this certain song and then I watched a couple rounds and I went, ooh, I should do this other song first because yeah, it'll yeah. blow people out the water and I want to make sure I at least get to the second round. Yeah. And so I do this song, I do Pain and Pleasure, which is like this real weird kind of like, at the time it was like a real forward thinking hip hop song. Yeah. And then we go against these dudes that were like old. They were like, they had to be in their 30s <laughs> yeah. at the time and like they played this like classic boom bap, like sounded like it was yeah, from 1992. Yeah. And like I thought that I blew them out the water personally, but, but I'm a biased motherfucker. I think they was Bay Area has they, so they were. probably had homies in the but spot. But that's the thing is I felt like the crowd still reacted more for me. And so when the yeah. judgment came through, they're like, they're like, yeah, you know, so and so is going on to the next round, and it wasn't me. And I said, I fucking flipped out. I I, I did some real early this. intuition shit. I said, this is fucking bullshit. I'm like, fuck you, Elliot. I can't believe I fucking drove up here seven yeah, fucking hours for this shit and just to play was, one fucking song. Like, fuck this. Like that. And it was, and as I if it was like the Apollo. If it was the most biggest deal. And I looked at the kids that I was battling against and I said, hey, no offense, homie, but your shit was whack. My I was yeah. like, my shit blew you out the water. Da, 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 da. And like caused such a scene. And, I and, remember and that. In hindsight, oh God. In hindsight, that's one of my most embarrassing stories that I like threw such a shit fit. It was like some real, 
I was on some you real. Gotta let that out sometimes. I was on some real wannabe rock out. and roll shit. Like I was <laughs> a fucking egotistical motherfucker back then. So, anyways, that's how I met you. Yeah. And at the time, you were telling me you were in a group called Instant Messengers. And yeah. then I started hearing more about. <laughs> so the, I used to hear about the Instant Messengers more and more. Yeah. And believe it or not, actually, when I was living in Santa Barbara, my best friend lived at this house with like five other dudes, and they would always have like these random chicks over and stuff. And one girl was like, "Oh, you rap?" She's like, "Do you know the Instant Messengers? They're like my favorite because she was from the Bay. She's yeah, probably one yeah. of your high school friends yeah, or some shit." Probably, yeah. yeah, and she's like, "They're the best. Like my my homies are in da 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 da." And I said, "Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I know Alex." And so, anyways, Grouch tried to start a label, and you guys got signed, right? Exactly. So what happened is. That's a great story, by yeah. the way, man. I'm really glad yeah. you said that. And then, oh, I, I would have probably forgot that one. And, and the other connection, the way that I met Brick was kind of in turn because of you as well. Exactly. Because I was opening for the Living Legends in Santa Barbara at yeah, UCSB exactly, one year, yeah. like in 07, and Brick was running their merch table. And he said, yo, man, that was really dope. What's your name again? And I said, Intuition. He goes, I thought that's what you said. He's like, do you know my homie Alex Spit? Yeah, and I yeah. said, yeah, yeah, I know Alex. You know, I know Borat and Alex, and I've met Cambo and those guys. Yeah. He's like, yo, that's my homie. You know, I, I like, he was managing you guys at the time right yeah exactly yeah yeah so go ahead brick i knew brick from high school we never really kicked it but in the high school that i went to there wasn't really many like heads like hip-hop heads and shit but i knew he was because he would wear like merch you know what i mean and he would see me i think he saw me one day in a dilated hoodie or something like that i think when Aesop Rock's Labor Days came out. I burned it for him, gave it to him. You know what I mean? We just had like, we we didn't kick it, but we had a weird like hip hop, underground hip hop music obsession, like connection thing going on, you know? And long story short, I guess when he was 17, he moved to LA and he was a fan of the legends. He opened up a CD and he saw like a contact number in there. He called it because he wanted to get like an intern job, and that contact number ended up being Lucky I Am, who was like pretty much the he- one. Of he the, was the, the manager kind of at yeah, the time, the founding member of Living Legends. And I always say like a closed mouth don't get fed, and Brick is the absolute yeah. fucking. He is the absolute example of that. Like he's if he wants something, he will fucking yeah, figure out how to make it, it happen. Yeah. and he did that with the Legends and became like the touring exactly. kind of like tour manager, he became tour manager yeah. essentially. Yeah. And then now he tour manages for OF he was out there working at the hundreds and exactly. saw what was happening and said it reached out and figured it out and now he's a fucking integral part of their community yeah. you know what i mean so a huge part you know yeah, very yeah. behind the scenes but very huge part but long story short living legends did a show at the fillmore in san francisco i went to the show at that time in my life i was strictly backpack full of cds burn cds all the time I had my backpack of cds with me i saw brick outside smoking a cigarette after the show selling merch or something i went up to him yo listen to this cd fuck with me i'm making music because he, he never knew i made music right like, i was like i make music fuck with me he was doing merch for the legends at this time like two three days later i get a call from brick like i fuck with this let's talk yeah and to me at that time for some reason like it felt like as if damon dash like right called my cell phone was like but he has an aura he has an aura about him too where like if he says something's tight you're like oh fuck this might be about exactly. to crack that's, he, he that's has what it this was. yeah that's he has exactly a thing about him where he's, he's got that like shark in the water thing where he's like he smells the blood and he's gonna be able to do something about it exactly you know? yeah. yeah that's exactly what it was so long story short we had a meeting, me and the crew and some messengers had a meeting with this kid, Brick Stowell, and he kind of like mapped out a plan for us, which was, <laughs> it's funny because like the plan is what people do still to this day, but it's not like a real plan. It's right. like, go to LA, meet hella people. <laughs> like it was more drawn out than that, but yeah. that's essentially what it was. Like go to LA, go out, 
and meet people, make friends with people that are cool. Yeah, you know, and meet it was the like, influencers. Exactly. Well, I mean, so, you kind of followed that plan. When exactly, did you? When yeah. did you get involved with the hundreds? So I got involved with the hundreds in like '08 when I was living in San Francisco. And the hundreds moved to San Francisco. They opened up a shop. I didn't even know nothing about the hundreds, to be completely honest. But I would see their the manager of the shop, Tony Rodriguez. He would he was a fucking pile going out to bars every night and mm. shit. And I was a pile too. I would go out to bars every night, and I'd always see him. We eventually became cool together. At that time, I was working at some cafe that was getting like I hated. You know what I mean? Like I hated working there. And at that time, like after a while, one day he was just like, man, like I need to hire somebody. I don't know what to do. And I was like, hmm, you want me to work there? Yeah. Like I wasn't even like pumped. I was just like, you want me to work? <laughs> yeah. And he was like, yeah, let's do that. So then that's how I got the job at the hundreds. Right. But anyways, rewind a little bit. Instant Messengers, Brick, he was helping us out. In hindsight, how do you feel about the Instant Messengers? Those are my homies for yeah. life, man. Like I wish... Really, the only reason we stopped making music together is just creative differences. And yeah. I think you need to respect those creative differences, you know what I mean? And then try to, like, feed into them is how you end up hating people. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think the group ended for a reason so I could do what I'm doing now and for them to be doing what they're doing now. And if we had tried to, like, force it to work, like, it just... Right. Would it would have imploded. The, yeah, it would have imploded and it just, like, would not be organic. It wouldn't be natural. It wouldn't feel good for yeah. anybody involved in it. You know? How do you so, feel about the name Instant Messengers at this point? It's it's just funny to me, man. Like so I used to be kind of embarrassed of it, but the way that name came about was because yeah. on our first show we didn't have a crew name. Yeah, and we was on the phone. We was at a barbecue at my crib. The promoter called one of the homies up in the crew and was like, "Yo, what do I put on the flyer?" And then my homie Kelsey Rivera, who I started rapping with, was just like yelled in the background because the phone was on speakerphone. Yeah. He was like, "Instant messengers," <laughs> and we all started laughing. That's and it tight. was like it was one of those things like because everybody laughed, everyone's like, "Yeah," and like nobody didn't really yeah. say like, "No, let's not do it's that." I think it's funny because in hindsight, that's a very like early two thousand backpack yeah, rap name. Yeah, you know what exactly. Like, like yeah. the instant, yeah. you know what I mean. So yeah. we started. We just went with that. And anyways, the crew broke up. At that time, I was doing solo music the whole time during the yeah. crew. I just wasn't really doing anything with it. So the crew broke up around like 2007, 2008. When the crew broke up is right around when I started working for the hundreds. And I was working for the hundreds for like three, four months. And like within those three, four months, I started realizing how big the hundreds fucking is in the realm of, I guess, the hundreds streetwear. Yeah, like yeah. within like streetwear, maybe like some cool guy aspects of there here and there. Well, the big thing is, too, they're really a company that blew up because of the content that, create, exactly. that they create. And exactly. really with Noxteady, that's all I think we were just trying kind of like taking Emulate. their model and running yeah, with it. You exactly. know what I mean? Making, creating content to sell shirts. Exactly. I mean, fucking... Bobby is probably the best blogger. No, he's, man. he's an amazing yeah. blogger. He's like, nonstop. It's fucking it's like every crazy. day. The last like he ten, turns like, a boring ass day into really awesome content. Yeah. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, I, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And anyway, so it's like I learned how the magnitude of like what me working for the hundreds could possibly do for my music. Yeah. And at that time, it's not like I was timid. I was doing shows in Frisco. I had my own little following because what Brick had taught me about like going to LA and like going out to Dim Mac parties, meeting like little socialites and yeah. like Steve Aoki and the Cobra Snake, getting your picture taken by Cobra Snake and like just learning weird, subtle, like stupid things like that. Scenester shit. Of, yeah, yeah, exactly. Scenester shit. I kind of adopted and 
started emulating a San Francisco, which is a much smaller city and much easier to infiltrate than Los Angeles. Yeah. So on a small scale, I was doing that in SF and I was getting a really good name for myself. I was like headlining shows, bringing out like 400, 500 heads, you know what I mean? Like throwing shows myself, doing that. And eventually, yeah, this is around the time of the hundreds. And one day I met Bobby, the owner of the hundreds and Ben, and they asked me kind of what I do. And I was like, I make music. And they're like, they probably heard that a million times. And like their reactions showed that. And then, so I was like, let me send you some music. So I sent them a bunch of music. I sent them this album I was working on titled open 24 hours. And within a couple of days, Bobby hit me back. Like, dude, what the fuck? Like, I had no idea. You're like legit. Yeah. It's like, you're doing it. Like you are a musician. You're not like some like bedroom joke. He's like, what can we do with this? And then that's when I, me and like, I, you know, met up with a bunch of other homies to kind of discuss, you know, that I was like interested in. It was kind of like, let's get the hundreds to put out my, my music. You know what I mean? So I went back to them was like, do you guys want to put out my music? My first album, essentially, do you guys want to like pay for some music videos and pretty much just rep me as like your rapper, you know? So they had never really done anything like that, but like, Essentially, that's what they did. You know, they put out my first album. They paid for a video, and like Bobby repped the shit out of me, like whenever he could. You know, and that shit did hella good for me. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I never really tapped into like the internet realm at that point. At that yeah. point in my career, I was strictly like in the streets, pretty much. You know, yeah. like I was more of like a I'm gonna go bring this to someone yeah. rather than email it. You know what I mean? I was like, because Frisco was small, so you could do something like that. And, and there was something to that era where it was very respectable to be the guy outside slanging CDs. Exactly. Yeah. Now you look fucking desperate as shit if yeah, you're doing that. Yeah, but it's all bad. back then it was like, oh yeah, that's the dude that goes out and slangs CDs and he's tight, you know. And like if you fucking ask nice enough, maybe he'll rap for you or something. Exactly, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's I was that guy too. No, for until sure. I realized like, oh wait, you know, I could do this on a much bigger scale on the internet in out of the comfort of my home. Yeah, exa- <laughs> exactly. Which is crazy. Yeah, that's it's that's just like the the sign of the times. You know, mm-hmm. shit changes. Absolutely, you have to keep. So anyways, that's when I started realizing the magnitude of like, it's starting to get bigger, you know? And after they put out my first project, it did really well. I was starting to get hella views on my YouTube, like hella views on like whatever, like any statistic things. It was like stacking up. And at that time, like it was around the time where my lease at the apartment I was living in in Frisco was like coming to an end and brick who was living in LA at the time, who I've always stayed in contact with. And he was always like, helping me out, supporting me, repping me, like low key managing me. It's good and, dude to have in your corner. Exactly. Like he like had been trying to convince me to move to LA, which is like, you know what I mean? It's like an epicenter for I think pushing at the, music. And, and at, at the time. time that you moved down here, it, there was like a real kind of lull in the Bay almost parts yeah. and not in uh, specific sorts of music. Cause like, yeah, like, you know, hyphy was cracking off exactly. and function music yeah, was, was starting weird. to pick up. But like in the, in what we do in our little yeah, there wasn't aesthetic a there, market, there's no, there's no underground scene up there right exactly. now. It's so hard to get shows up there yeah, and stuff. It's really crazy. Yeah. yeah. Especially at that time. It was crazy. Everyone was kind of looking to LA yeah. for music. Yeah. What it That's was. around like, the same time i think we migrated here uh, similar times you know what i mean so mm-hmm. yeah so eventually all the cars kind of lined up my lease ended up like i was working for the hundreds they said if i moved to la you got a job i got a job at the shop like easy mm-hmm. like brick had a spot lined up for me in la like a room if i wanted to move into it yeah normal lab yeah yeah exactly where i still live now i talked to bago about normal a little bit explain what normal is because you guys had your own little scene kind of going on there yeah. so it's like an artist complex or compound yeah. i mean essentially normal lab is like in east hollywood it's an apartment complex 
Brick Stowell, my homie, has always been living there for like the last five years. He's moved in there with DJ Skeet Skeet. It was him and Skeet Skeet pretty much with like a couple like different like interns and roommates moving in and out of there. And then I moved down there and it was me, Skeet and Brick. You know what I mean? So this is like 2009, 2010 or something. Yeah, 2009, I think, like four years ago or something. And I moved down there and we still didn't like, you know, we didn't recognize it because I was I barely knew Skeet. But Skeet knew I did music and brick vouch for me so ski fucked with me i fucked with ski because brick vouch for ski anyways we started kicking it and then eventually that we moved into another unit in that complex where we could add one more person in there we added the homie russ who was like a epic graphic designer he's working for warriors of radness and fresh jive at the yeah, time yeah. he was just on point like one of my favorite designers like knows aesthetics really well and it was just dope. Like everyone in the crib was talented, you know, like brick was shooting photos at that. Actually, that's when brick started shooting photos. Like he got a Polaroid, he started shooting and then he got like a contacts and started shooting or a Leica and started shooting with that. Like that's when he started shooting photos when we moved into the second apartment in normal lab. But pretty much what it is was just like, because we're all like talented people, like artisans in one shape or form. It's just got a vibe to it. And yeah, we try to like make sure that the people that live there are artisans or people yeah. of that nature. So yeah. it's got that to keep vibe. That, to and keep that vibe. Exactly. And like on top of that, it was just like what fed into it too, which is like an element that a lot of people don't really realize is at one point, a bunch of girls, cute girls moved in right above us in our apartment. And there was like a year, a couple years ago where like, we didn't even need to go out. We threw yeah. parties at the crib yeah. every night. So we threw like hella epic barbecues, hella epic kickbacks, hella epic dinners, and hella epic parties because it was like a bunch of chill dudes, a bunch of girls in the complex, and it was like, so it was just chill. So that's kind of how that name, we were just like, normal, let's rep this. This is tight. Like, yeah. This is like an artist collective, essentially, right. you know, in one shape or another. And eventually... Like, yeah, Bogo moved in at some point. So it's like, that's how I started making music with this chick, Bogo, because she was my roommate. She would hear me make beats. She would kick it in my room while I'm making beats. We would smoke. Then she would start humming a song, and I'd be like, you should make a song. She would write a song, and she recorded it, and I was like, it was epic. So yeah. it just all came together hella organically and naturally. So Talk about what was going on on Fairfax when you moved down to L.A., like, and how it's changed now since like the world discovered it. Yeah, At that time, the heads that was repping Fairfax and killing it, in my opinion, was Carter, Pac Div, and Dom Kennedy, and... Maybe like Diz Gabron or something like that, but he wasn't really out there like that. You know what I mean? He wasn't really kicking it on the block like even, that. But. Even at a more like surface level, explain what Fairfax was in L.A. Because, you know, there's I kids that don't live in L.A. At that listen. time, I mean, from but prior to moving down there, I considered Fairfax like, ooh, that's like a streetwear. Like, that's the Mecca. Yeah, that's kind of like a Mecca. That's there's like a, a big there's deal. There's a Supreme store. When you moved down, was A-Life still open? No, nah, it, was, it, was, it was strictly, it was this Diamond, Supreme... Huff was there, and then like the hundreds, pretty much yeah. for the most part. Well, and then uh, you had the the reserve store. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's my bad. Yeah, that was a yeah. huge, that was a huge thing too. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. So I moved down to Fairfax. At that time, Fairfax was still kind of like not on the hush hush, but it was still kind of exclusively for people that are on some shit. It's like know? one of those places where when you go there to shop, if you're not on the block, 
People yeah. give you dirty looks almost like, why are you in my store? Exactly, yeah. So it was still very cool guy. Yeah. Like, Which is funny because it's like, hey, man, I have money to buy shit. Why yeah. are you being a dick to nah, me? Nah, it's a concept. <laughs> that's a concept that will never make sense. Yeah. But I think for some but reason it, it, it works. Yeah, it makes it, it more. Like people want to go there even yeah, more because exactly. of that. Like it yeah. makes it work. So it adds to the whole exclusiveness of everything yeah. somehow. Yeah. I couldn't I- explain it like psychologically you. or what. But I feel you. It was, like, known to heads that was up on some shit that kind of, like, kept their ear to the streets on what's cool, I guess. But beyond that, it wasn't, like, hadn't hit, Blown like, a fuck nationwide, up. like, you know, like, knowing what Soho is or, like, you know, like, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Knowing what Hay Street is and whatnot. It wasn't like that yet. Because that had kind of just become the new spot after Melrose died, exactly, really. Exactly, yeah. Because, dude, in 06, 07, it's, like, the hot place in L.A. to get closed was Melrose, not exactly. Fairfax. And then all of a sudden, Melrose died and Fairfax was the new hot shit. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Melrose yeah. is fucking crazy now. So dead. Yeah. <laughs> and um, did you ever feel like, man, these dudes on this block act so cool, but we're all working retail? Yeah, for sure. I, I knew the <laughs> you know reality of it. Yeah. I knew the reality of exactly what was going on, but I also saw the potential and all of it and is I, what it was. Is it, is it sort of like everybody that works in those stores has something else that they've got bubbling? That Exactly. Yeah. That's, that, that was what, once I started realizing that is when I like... A lot of people, like, even that work on the block, like, oh, my God, this is so whack. I'm like, yeah, it's whack. But, I mean, like, come on, you could work in a mall. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which is kind of turning into. But it's, like, still, it's like, yeah. So everyone on the block, like, I would just start realizing, like, yeah, man, that kid designs clothes. Like, that kid's a musician. That kid does this. You know what I mean? And, like, just by having the common denominator of working on that street and like seeing each other, having to see each other every day, it became a scene. Everyone almost. became, yeah, it became a scene. Everyone became homies and like everyone supported each other. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause it's like almost on some tastemaker shit. Almost not like these were all huge tastemakers of the world, but they were of influence to their own in their own right to whether it was like maybe like a small group of 10 people or maybe a small group of like 100 people, you know what I mean? Everyone had their own little... And now, the hundreds had its own influence. little mini music scene going on with you, exactly. CBG, a couple other kids. Yeah, exactly. Carter, Senior Ohm. Yeah, Senior Ohm. And, um, and then you had, uh, you know, JJ uh, Mestizo exactly. at the Reserve Store for a while. Exactly. You had... And then, and then you had Odd Future at the Supreme Store, exactly. kind of. And then Krayshawn came to the block, shot her video on Fairfax And that was kind of... Yeah, it was like after Tyler and Odd Future kind of went ape shit and then after Krayshawn went ape shit it was like Fairfax was no longer a mystery exactly so it became a tourist destination exactly that's and that's pretty much what it is now but one thing that I think maintains it is that original idea we were talking about of just the exclusive exclusivity (laughs) and people still look at you funny when you come in the store exactly I bet I would imagine more so now I would imagine it's even more so now I haven't been in a while but I would imagine people are like would be even more like what the fuck are you doing here at this point exactly so that's the one thing I think that'll help it maintain and just the idea of the brands that are flourishing there now like yeah. really thriving are like pretty like a lot of them are og heads about yeah. shit you know what i mean and don't like seeing like some cookie cutter fake shit like yeah. infiltrate for the most part so it may like obviously they don't have complete control over that but like within the scene like it's just like seniority and respect still at the end of the day you know what i mean so For like sure. that's the stuff that gets to shine on and shit in the last couple of years or in the last probably year or so you got signed to decon yeah tell me how that came about and tell me how it helps with your career and like how you feel about it so far yeah so the music i was doing i was working at the hundreds they was helping push my music every release i did like exponentially got better in regards to like numbers and whatnot and just i could see it at shows like 
more people showing up, more people I didn't even recognize showing up to shows, blah, blah, blah. That was happening. I was working in nine to five, essentially, at the shop. I was getting tired of it. I was ready to do music. And at that time, I was having a bunch of meetings with a bunch of different labels here and there. You know what I mean? Like little offers here and there, but nothing that was like really appealing for me. I'm I, I'm a pretty smart, intelligent person when it comes to like my artistic integrity. So like nothing was really appealing. And then at the time, um, I was getting my manager was telling me like, hey, like just do Jason Goldwatch that owns uh, Decon keeps like asking about you to like a lot of common mutual friends, like about you to them, you know. And that got bored back to me. And I was like, all right, that's cool. And like, eventually, like I set up a meeting, got set up between me and the owners of Decon. Who else does Decon push? Uh, they've pushed, they have pushed like J Electronica, oh, Pusha wow. T, AC Alone, Alchemist, Evidence. I cool. think they've put out some dilated stuff. Like they're very just like hip hop, like right. forward thinking hip hop for the most part. You know what I mean? Like not very mainstream. And but they like try to do things with a mainstream like approach, I guess, you know, and long story short, like I just vibed with them creatively. Like they understood like my vibe, like what I was going for, you know, like even like in the first meeting, I was playing them songs that. I would not play for, you know what I mean? Like right. if I was trying to impress a major label. Like right. I was playing songs that was just like, like my off the wall shit. And they was like, this is tight. Like we fuck with this. Mm-hmm. Long story short, like the deal, the con- they, a contract got written up and it was very much so in my favor mm-hmm. for like me creatively and what I wanted to do with music and where I wanted to take it. So it we did that and they put out my first like official like commercial release and it like, all the bases that I wanted to got, get covered got covered. Like I got to do up to that point, like music videos, it's like, it's expensive to make a decent quality video of the standard that I want. And they was able to do that, but like three or four of them, you know what I mean? Plus and like, with titties. Exactly. Yeah. With titties, <laughs> BMWs. Yeah. Vegas, no, that video is fly you know as I mean? fuck. I like that video. So, yeah, like thus far, like, and so you got like, to quit the hundreds and now you're exactly. Yeah. So I got to quit a job and like, now my job by title is musician yeah that's great yeah so so what does the future hold man i went through i'm about to put out an instrumental project next week mansions two mansions two which is like a follow-up to an instrumental project i dropped last year that was coincidentally called mansions one it's crazy just mansions it's crazy yeah Yeah, mansions i like that sample uh took a mixtape turned it into a yeah two chains yeah yeah yeah, that was when he was titty boy still like titty boy but yeah, so we're dropping that next week. I think today we're dropping a video for it, which is like a mashup of a bunch of animes, like 16-minute, like epic seizure frenzy anime video with all like most of the music from the instrumental project. But on top of that, like I spent between January and now, like in a kind of crazy writer's block, almost a like creative block entirely. And it was fucking me up, you know what I mean? But this happens literally happens to me every year. I go through like a two, three month writer's block we're like i do the same shit no literally like one line scratch out scribble yeah. it out one I'm, word i'm just starting to break through that same thing right now i wish there was like a natural cure for it but it's really just time essentially yeah. but anyways like as of like the last three weeks i've been going ham i like been recording like a song a day pretty That's much great. and it's like i'm just stacking up new material to essentially either a new mixtape or a new album i'm not really sure the home of where it's gonna go like back to like kind of like that slug shit i like to just record a bunch of songs and then from there boil them down to an album exactly one last thing i feel like the theme of your whole career and aesthetic having you know gotten through high school not gone to college but at the same time learned 
everything that you need to learn on your own. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've always said without a passion, there's no purpose. You obviously have a passion, which therein makes you want to learn more things and be mm-hmm. a lifelong learner. But they also say a college education will get you a job. Self-education will make you a career. Yeah. And so just kind of speak on that. And, it's and- weird. I, I have this, I've been having this debate my entire life, pretty much like whether it's the roommates of mine that go to USF or whether it's my girlfriend that goes to USC and us butting heads in regards to the concept of learning. You know what I mean? And I don't necessarily consider education and learning like the same, the same thing. You know what I mean? And essentially like a good education stuff. But yeah, I'm an avid believer of like, if you immerse yourself in whatever the craft you're trying to pursue is like literally like completely immerse yourself, you could get potentially just as much or more, more education than you did if you paid for it. You know what I mean? And I, and I think, like and I, I think a good way to summarize that is, is like, if, if you love something, you will want to learn about yeah, it. Exactly. You know what I mean? it, it's, it's, it's literally as simple as that. I just think a lot of like, there's a stand, there's societal standards that like fuck people up. You know what I mean? Like, and it's just the idea of like, people want to look good for other people in society, but none of that really matters at the end of the day when it comes to what you want to do for yourself and where you're trying to go. And I'll tell you like kids that are trying to start making music. I'm sure you get this all the time and I get it all the time. They send messages, whether it be on Twitter or whether it be an email or whether it be a Facebook message about, Hey, how can I break into what I'm doing? How, like, can you give me advice on this and that? And you know, when we were coming up, we couldn't reach out to people and say, can you give me this advice? And so I think like the best advice is like, if you love it enough, you'll fucking teach yourself. Yeah, I agree. Real I shit. I completely agree. You know, there's no shortcut into anywhere other than fucking putting in the work. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, hey, I'm glad you've been working on right. stuff. I'm glad you're getting through the writer's block. Dope. And yeah, uh, look forward to hearing Mansions too. Sick. We got to fuck with some music together. We, we've known yeah. each other long enough where we should make some it's music together. It's about that time. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. Um, so anyhow, tell the people where to find you online. Uh, Alexander Spit. Everything you can find is on www.alexanderspit.com. Twitter, Twitter, backslash Alexander Spit. Yeah. Facebook, Alexander Spit. Yeah, YouTube, I, I Alexander. Think the Facebook is something else. You got to look it up. You'll find him. Yeah, you'll find it. Instagram, Alexander underscore Spit. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, my name is Intuition, and uh, you can find us on Twitter at That's Kind of Neat. You can find me on Twitter at It's Intuition. My man, Ben Shin, back on the boards. You can find him at I Am Database, based with two S's. Fuckwithkindofneat.net you'll see uh this podcast streaming and you'll also find a video of alex performing and uh give some fucking props to the cosmic zoo the beautiful studio that we record in every week it's finally got some air conditioning so it's a little cooler in here than usual you can see (laughs) in the youtube videos everyone's always sweating usually because it's hot as fuck but we got some ac in here so we're coming on up in the world thank you guys for tuning in thank you alex for coming in thank you uh this was kind of neat there you go man